This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. So what did everybody book? I'm really keen to know. There was a bit of dog groomer, a lot of personal grooming, as you can imagine. Quite a lot of, you know, funny gags about the waxer. Husbands who desperately need haircuts because they look like teddy bears. We've been spending a lot of time together, me and my husband. It's been quite extraordinary and amazingly successful. It was once reported the Queen consumes four alcoholic drinks a day, including allegedly a glass of champagne before bed. Can you believe that she has four four drinks a day? She's doing better than I am in lockdown. Good luck to her, I say. How dare they say don't have a martini? It, it will probably kill her if she doesn't, if she changes those habits now. I mean, Charles might be going, look, come on, come on, Mum. Maybe you should be enjoying the martinis. Am I ever, am I ever going to get this job? <laughs> will it ever be my turn, says Charles and Camilla. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome everybody to episode 193 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I'm here with my friend, my dear friend and new puppy owner, Corrie Perkin. Hey, Corrie. Hi, Caro. We're not really here together. We are, there's a, there are a few thousand miles and a couple of waterways between us, but I can see you and you can see me and it's just so lovely to see you in Amsterdam. Corrie, I've got a few apologies and obviously a few thank yous. First of all, to our wonderful sponsors at Red Energy with the most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. And we will be later opening up the cocktail cabinet. Thanks to Prince Wine Store. Too early for me to have a cocktail, but it's cocktail hour for you, which is going to be a bit weird over the next few months, isn't it? We're not really in sync, are we? Well, unless you want to have a drink really early in the morning with your breakfast. <laughs> well, well, I did see Miss Jane cracking into a beer, I think, before, and I was a bit shocked until I remembered that it was night time and I'm on the coffee. Now, Corrie, um, I need to apologise for my rather slack research last week. I've been told off by my Dutch daughter, Rose, Dutch-based daughter, Rose. The place Brendan and I are living in is Reverenberg. It is a beautiful part of town in the southeast, sort of inner southeast, a bit like Armadale, as I think I said to you, but the pronunciation is Reverenberg. I'll have so many wonderful Dutch facts for you over the next few months, but um, I needed to get where I was living right. My next apology will come in crush of the week, but I have just had the pleasure of meeting over the um, World Wide Web, over the Zoom. Young Panda, tell us how it's going, week one. Yes, Princess Panda, as she's known now, um, (laughs) uh, or as a very dear friend uh, of mine said the other day, did you name her Panda after the pandemic? Absolutely. Oh, didn't occur to me. Didn't occur at all. But anyway, quite clever of them. She's doing very well. And thank you to all of the all of our podcast gang who I posted a little photo of her on our Instagram account at Don't Shoot Pod if anybody's interested in following us. And gosh, there was a lot of love for Panda. There were some really lovely comments, some lovely endorsements of the Bordoodle breed, Caro, which is affirming. 
uh, especially a couple of days ago when I was pulling my hair out about the toilet training. But I feel, touching wood, that we may have turned a corner today. It's a beautiful day in Melbourne, or it has been, and uh, we've been able to have the doors open because it's been particularly cold and miserable, particularly last weekend, Caro. And so now to have the doors open, it's just much easier to toilet train when they can walk in and out, don't you think? Oh, completely, completely. And it certainly helps if you've got sort of fenced off areas as well. That it was amazingly easy for us this time around. That was the least of our worries of toilet training. But I'd so agree if they can come in and outside. We actually finally put in a doggy door at our house in Melbourne, which also made a difference. Can I just go back to Princess Panda? Remember, she was a rather mysterious, almost shadowy character after her retirement from the Happy Club, and she sort of disappeared from the screens altogether. She was so beautiful. She Look, she did very much uh, a Greta Garbo, I Want to Be Alone. She could have done revivals and she could have done the Moomba Parade for the next 20 years. We all thought she was wonderful. I was a tad young to really get into her. I can remember her vaguely on television, but I think she's more my brother's generation. But yes, um, Panda does have sort of regal-like qualities about her. I don't know what I mean by that because she's a puppy and she's 12 weeks old. So what do I mean? She's just, she's very gentle. She's very well-behaved. She takes discipline well. And um, a a couple of shout-outs to um, my other bridesmaid. You're one of them. And Pammy is my other one. And Pam texted me to say, don't forget the hot water bottle with lukewarm water in her bed at night. Well, it is such a great tip, everybody. Not scalding water, of course, but just warm water. Put it in the puppy's uh, little bedding at night. It's a it's a brilliant one. And then the other one told me toilet rolls, to, uh, toilet rolls without the toilet paper. So empty toilet rolls. They're all over the house and she can get her baby teeth into it. Great tip as well. Oh, that is a good idea. So just one more word about the Happy Club, Princess Panda. I, I've told you know this story, but I don't know if I've ever, you know, mum took me and my brother Will when we were very young. I have heard this story probably 27 times. Okay, but... Go on, you can tell. Well, we got to meet Princess Panda and I was so young I can barely remember. I can remember sitting in a studio audience, vaguely sitting on these chairs, and the next thing I know, I woke up in my bed at home in Armadale sort of the following day. I'd sort of lapsed into this sort of semi-coma. And um, the most annoyed, and it was when they found out very early on that I had kidney problems, that was the day it was sort of all diagnosed when I collapsed. And all I can remember is being so angry because my brother Will got the show bag, the Happy Club show bag, and I didn't. But I do remember seeing Princess Panda and thinking she was beautiful. Anyway, bad early memory of the early days of um, Australian television. So uh, for, for potties who missed last week's episode and have joined us, Caro uh, and Brendan have moved to Amsterdam for three months and um, that's one way to get over the footy season in Australia, Caro. Uh, but um, there were uh, medical reasons to do with your little granddaughter, so we hope everything's going well there. Tell us about this week's happenings, life for you and Bren in Amsterdam. Well, we have got into a routine. We've been doing a lot of babysitting and a lot of pram walking. Sunday's been out of hospital now for about 10 days this time, so it's been really lovely. 
and we've been trying to encourage Rose and Oscar to, you know, go off and do things and while we look after the beautiful Miss Sunday, we've even sort of started doing babysitting shifts because we've realised we don't probably need to always do it together. We've been spending a lot of time together, me and my husband. It's been quite extraordinary and quite success- amazingly successful. Um we are in a routine. We're very much ensconced now in our beautiful apartment in Riverenbert, and I have a yoga studio. What did you call it last week? Not that I think I said, a lot of us would know. I think did I said Riverenbert, and I sort of was a bit a bit dismissive, according to Rose, who says I need to do a lot more research. Um, look, I've, I've found a great yoga studio about an eight-minute walk away. Brendan's found a great swimming club, which is a little bit problematic because the changing rooms, there's two tents. And when he asked which was a male tent, they said sort of depends on the day, depends on how many women and how many men turn up. But if you walk into the wrong one, you walk out very quickly or you take a guess. So Brendan found that a little bit traumatic. He claims that very few men are swimming laps in sluggers. They're swimming in what he would call underpants, really. Um, but he's happy about that. We love our little village. We've made friends with – we've got two brilliant coffee places 15 minutes away by walking. We've got one three minutes away if we want to go near a buy. We've had our first experience of apple and speck pancakes. We woke up um, the other morning to find the Dutch Marathon, the Amsterdam Marathon was on, and the 10-kilometre mark was at the end of our street, so that was pretty exciting. And, look, when we're not – we try and sort of set aside a couple of hours for ourselves every day when we're not seeing Sunday and not catching up with Rose. And, in fact, yesterday we had the whole day away from the family because we went to Utrecht, as I think I told you last week, to get our Dutch vaccination passports. So, so after you told me you were going to Utrecht last week, I did a bit of investigation and uh, I learned that it has the highest church spire in Europe. In in the Netherlands. Oh, in the Netherlands. Oh, that's oh, not well, it's interesting. Well, it might be in Europe, but certainly they're claiming it in the Netherlands. Hysterically, we booked the one-hour tour which means you've got to climb it, which is, it's more than 100 metres climb and they are very steep steps that get narrower and steeper and wetter. It was a very rainy morning in Utrecht. Equally hysterically, every 50 years now, the whole thing needs to be the Dom Tower, as it's called, which is part of this beautiful cathedral complex. The the famous cathedral, uh, St Martin's, was completely destroyed in a shocking tornado back in the 1600s and never completely replaced. But a lot of the complex is still there. The church is no longer Catholic. It's now Protestant. It gets They get more Catholic in the Netherlands as you get further south. So we climbed at Corrie. Um, unfortunately, the entire building was under scaffolding. And when we got to the top, <laughs> the rain was so heavy and the fog so steep that we got this, we could probably, if we really, really peeled our eyes, see a couple of rooftops, but view extremely disappointing. Um, we made up for that by booking into a beautiful restaurant afterwards um, in the most beautiful autumnal park called Wilhelmina Park. Watch the autumn leaves fall. It's sort of like a mini Amsterdam. It's, um, it's, on a beautiful canal, um, a river, the Rhine, um, runs through it in one part. The, the, the town itself, I think Lonely Planet a few years ago named it one of the 10 most underrated towns in the world. 
It's impossibly pretty. It's the home, you'd love this, of Dick Bruner, the famous Dick Bruner who invented Miffy. And um, I think he died about five or six years ago, but he lived to the age of 90, and he is a national treasure here. In fact, a lot of the newsagents and bookshops are called Bruner. There seems to be a chain. I wonder if it's his family. But lots of galleries. Um, It's um, got the biggest university in the Netherlands. It, um, as I said, it dates back allegedly in some in some books you read back to the stone age but it really hit its straps and this beautiful dom tower that you talked about was built in the 1300s and as i said they have to renovate it every 50 years so that takes about five years so of course we stumbled on a year of but all oh, these bells and the it's absolutely stunning i'll send you a photo and um remind us again why you were there you had um clericals to attend to we had clericals to tend to. We are now um, proud, paid-up and passionate vaccine recipients of the both the international and the Netherlands um, QR code. So that was great. That only took a few minutes. And um, it was a 20, it's a 20-minute train ride to Utrecht from our local train station here. So, look, we're feeling very much like locals, Corrie, and I'm fully ensconced into being a cyclist. So life's pretty good, but life's about to get a whole lot better for you, isn't it? Well, uh, well, it is. Interesting, though, Caro, I have just um, come tonight onto this uh, chat with you from our book club, our Zoom book club, one of the five that um, I run, and I did a bit of a ask around the Zoom room, how does everybody feel about the reopening on Thursday at 11.59pm, and it's interesting how people are saying they feel very different about this coming out of this lockdown as opposed to the one last year. The big fear, of course, well, two fears. One fear is that there's way more COVID around. And so a lot of people have uh, have illnesses. A lot of people are, have family members who might be going through cancer treatments or, or have other particularly respiratory issues, other illnesses. And um, and people with little kids, there's just a general concern about if I go out there, will I will I get it? And the other thing too, which Francesca um, brought to my attention, I said to check out. Oh, you know, let's go because as you know, the two girls are November babies, so we always have a bit of a shopping trip around the time of their birthdays. And I said, let's go to Chadston, the fashion capital. Let's just go there in November and have a shop up for yours and Coco's birthday. And Checker said, I'm really nervous about going in case it becomes a tier one. I cannot afford to be in, in you know, quarantine for or isolated for two weeks, which is a really compelling reason to watch where you go. But isn't that changing? Isn't the isolation period going to change to a week? And- it, will cha- it will change, but people just want to know exactly when and how before they make any plans. So it is very interesting. Of course, it won't surprise you to know that as soon as the news came through, everybody's phones and laptops were running hot, try- people trying to make bookings. And so I put it out there today um, asking my own Instagram gang so what did everybody book? I'm really keen to know. There was a bit of dog groomer, a lot of personal grooming, as you can imagine, a, a, quite a lot of, you know, funny gags about the waxer, um, husbands who desperately need haircuts because they look like um, teddy bears, and um, and what else? Uh, somebody can't wait to go to the library, uh, 
I thought I would book uh, a restaurant that you and I love down our way, and it was completely booked out. Admittedly, they have they have small numbers, but within a couple of hours of the news coming through, they'd already booked out for the weekend. So that was that. I managed to book in somewhere else because I just thought it'd be quite nice to go out, the two of us, even though it's just been the two of us for the past 12 weeks or something. Yes, but it is. there is a lot to be said for sitting together at a restaurant. I mean, Brendan and I, when we do manage to have the odd um, date night here, it is incredible sitting together in a restaurant. And even when we're doing absolutely nothing, we go down to one of our local bars just for one drink before dinner or TV, just because it's still a novelty. Yeah, it's a change of environment. It's a change of scenery. We have an interesting thing that um, that is being discussed, uh, the expanded and outdoor economy open and close quote. There was a very bizarre media conference um, this week that the the, um, the um, Premier sort of handballed to one of his ministers and it was quite bizarre when she was announcing, um, just, her name's gone out of my head for just at the moment, but when she was announcing this expanded and outdoor economy and then gave nobody any idea of what that actually meant. So what it means is that trade retailers are not allowed to open, which there's a lot of angst about that. Why can you have 20 in a restaurant but you can't have someone in your shop? Uh, Yala Pulford is her name. Your husband will probably know her. She's the Victorian Employment Minister and she stumbled her way through a media conference the other morning, which I thought was just, I don't know why they handballed it to her, as I said. But anyway, um, apparently what we are allowed to do is traders are allowed to uh, to take their wares outside and trade uh, until the restrictions are lifted on retail in the in next week. And, of course, as one trader said to me, every time you put one thing, even a dog bowl, on your footpath, the council will come and issue a permit or say you have to pay for this, you, you, you know, you've, you have to, you've broken the, the law and you have to pay a fine. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to be monitored, and I don't know whether the, the count the local councils are going to clean up. Jerry Harvey, of course, of Harvey Norman, made the point: How on earth can I take all my fridges and double beds outside and put them on the footpath? Could somebody please explain what expanded and outdoor economy actually means? Oh dear, it sounds a bit like um, click and collect is here to stay. Well, look, possibly, and and I and you know, people, as we know, and and this was my lesson last year: investing in your retail site online to have a really good, strong, fast um, website is is the future. I think, even though people, of course, love browsing in shops and particularly love browsing in bookshops, but yeah, I think click and collect might be here for a long time. Corrie, um, I say this every week, but it's about this time when we think about what's facing Victorians. And even though it's a bit early for me, I think we're going to open the cocktail cabinet. Great. And here comes Miles once again with his cocktail cabinet. Miles, what have you got on the cocktail cabinet for us today? So today I thought I'd just put out a um, spring drinking mix dozen for work about a week ago, two weeks ago. It's got some really awesome stuff for spring weather, so I thought I'd, I'd pull a couple out of there and, and have a chat about those. Well, what a great idea because one of us is actually in autumn, so she has to wait till her spring to have it. But do you know what? I'm ready to rock and roll. All right, wonderful. Well, I'm going to start with a rosé, your favourite. 
And uh, not her favourite, my favourite, Miles. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't worry, I know where, I know where it is. <laughs> um, the Bondi Rosé. So it's from from McLaren Vale. It's by a, a young couple that have sort of taken over this label and sort of really, they just make fantastic wine. Andre Bondar is the, is the winemaker and he's just a really thoughtful, considerate sort of winemaker and just makes really, I don't know, just really easy drinking, but, but just really wonderful wines. They're very pure. They're very fresh. They're very clean sort of style. And this is 100% Grenache. So nice, light, easy, very crunchy style rosé, but plenty of that, those bright sort of red fruits and currant and strawberry, all with a lovely little bit of like herb and sort of orange twist to it. Really fantastic stuff. Just super gluggable. I, I really like this rosé. I've liked it every year I've had it so far. It's fantastic. Well, every time you talk about a rosé, of course, Miles, I'm really tempted to stick my foot in the water. Caro and I have been talking for a couple of months of doing a bit of a road trip over to Adelaide. So maybe we call into the McLaren Vale and try the Bondor Rosé, Caro. What do you reckon? Sounds absolutely wonderful to me. And, Miles, is this some reasonable value, this rosé? Yeah, fantastic. So $26 a bottle. You know, I think the 2020 got James Halliday's one of the best rosés that year or something like that. And I think the 2021 is just as good. So for $26, it's, like, really awesome. Some of their wines are a bit limited, but they've got plenty of the rosé, which is awesome. So that's great. Yeah, really great wine. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, being a mixed dozen, I guess there are whites and reds as well. There is, there is. So I thought I'd pick a, pick a nice sort of light style red. And uh, we're still in sort of, um, we're actually in Adelaide Hills here. Uh, and this is Gentle Folk. I don't know if people have heard of them. Um, Gareth and Rainto Belton are behind the Gentle Folk label. They make, we were sort of talking about this last week, they make I guess what you would term natural wine or minimal intervention wine. They don't like to put a lot of chemicals or, or, or sulfur. They use organic vineyards. And this is off uh, a blend of red, uh, red grapes of three of their vineyards. Um, it is a blend of uh, Pinot Noir mainly with some Pinot Gris, uh, a little bit of Syrah and some Sangiovese as well. So it's a, what you'd call a field blend. They call it the Vinda Sofa Red, which is a play on the word Vinda Soif which in France just means a very sort of easy drinking wine, usually referring to a red. And that's what this is, very light, very soft fruit, spicy red fruits, a bit of sort of black raspberry, some fresh herb on it, and just a little bit of tannin, nice fresh acidity, but really sort of light and fresh and just perfect for, for some warmer weather if you want to still have a red. I mean, you can chill this down a little bit, but, you know, great on its own as it is. Really great. Miles, when I think of reds in spring, my thoughts immediately go to lamb and, you know, spring lamb and that kind of thing. It's um, people often think, oh, asparagus and summer's on its way and we're going to fill the table with salads, but it's actually a really good time for for meat as well and game. Well, if you want to wind for that, we have uh, the, the Borderly Villages Tempranillo Tariga, which is also in that pack. It's fantastic. That might be a good, good option if you're going to do lamb. It's got a little bit more bite, a little bit more heft, a little bit more sort of juiciness to it. Uh, that would be perfect. And what would you suggest is the best, uh, the best wine to have with fresh spring asparagus? Well... You know, you could probably go something like Sauvignon Blanc would be really good. Something like a Muscadet would be really nice, which is from that sort of north 
uh, from the sort of western part of the Loire Valley, really fresh, really sort of easy drinking. I think you want something really light and fresh with um, not too much sort of flavour. Riesling would be good as well. Any of those really sort of light, fresh, bright whites would be perfect. So have you got a white in your a, a white for me in, in your mixed dozen? Oh, I've got plenty of white. My favourite in there is the Riccaterra Bronco Buster White. It's a blend of Vermentino, Fiano, Greco and Arinto. So really lovely, textural, lots of kind of fresh green fruits and pear, uh, nice and crunchy, but has a little bit of richness, a bit of, bit of fat on it too. It's a fantastic white, really cool. I, I drink it all the time. Well, Corey, I think that's spring sorted and I reckon it would go down pretty well in autumn too. Interesting to hear Miles talk about um, Sauvignon Blancs, which of course have become a bit of a, you know, no-no in Australia, but very, very popular over here and much nicer and less metallic. I don't know, those New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs we all got a bit sick of, but I've rather enjoyed it over in Amsterdam. Um, Miles, thank you so much for that. Now, how much um, will we pay for this mixed dozen? Yeah, so the mixed dozen, it's normally 314 bucks. It's 255 on special already. So, um, Oh, my goodness. And, of course, yeah. Caro, that rules you out because the shipping to Amsterdam, not only with the Aussie Post will it take four years to get there, but it's actually going to cost you in, in shipping postage, I don't know, Miles, what do you reckon, about $200? <laughs> it's, it's, it's doable, maybe. We'll have to see. Have to do some calculations. <laughs> well, that, that's a wonderful recommendation. Don't worry, Miles. Corrie can buy me my dozen, mixed dozen, and she can look after it until I get home. Thank you, Prince Weinstor, and Miles will talk to you next week. Thanks very much, ladies. That was the Cocktail Cabinet. Thank you, Miles, from Prince Wine Store. And thank you to Prince Wine Store, our sponsors of this little podcast. And each week they bring us great ideas and tips and bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Caro and Corey sent you. Caro, it's time for Crush of the Week. And thank you, Red Energy, who love sponsoring this section because we have a crush on red energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. What is your crush, Caro? Well, again, Corrie, it's a crush um, coming by way of another apology. My crush is on the Dutch bureaucracy. You would love it here. Remember last week I was so grumpy about having to fill in all those forms to get my vaccination. I won't bore you with all of that. We... This was one of the more simple exercises I have ever dealt with. We called a train to Utrecht. They said, go to a white building near platform 21 of the station. We walked to the white building. We went up to the fourth floor. They said, look, it might be a long way to have a 9.30 a.m. appointment. We got there at quarter past 20 past nine. They took us straight in. They said, do you want to do it together? Do you want to do it with two? We both went and spoke to two very lovely polite young men. I had a lovely blonde young man. Brendan had a dark-haired young man. The whole thing happened in 10 minutes. Brendan had trouble getting, because we've got different SIM cards over here, into his MyGov app, Long Story or Medicare app. But the fact that they saw that I was able to do it, they just took his word for it. Those ridiculous green COVID passports we have in Australia, which really tell you absolutely nothing, and I know it's all about to change, were completely believed. Not only did they give us an international QR code and a local Netherlands QR code, they helped us download it into our phones, showed us what to do, warned us to always have a hard copy with us because as the Dutch blonde chap told me, he got caught, he's got his phone stolen in Spain 
So he didn't have his phone and he didn't have a hard copy. He had to get a COVID test, cost him 90 euros, blah, blah, blah. Not only did they do all of that, but they then gave us directions into the old city of Utrecht and some directions and wished us a lovely day. And the whole thing did not cost us one cent, except for the train fare into Utrecht, which was seven euros return. And not only all that, but they're coming to dinner tomorrow night. Corrie, the people, this is, even though it sounded problematic when we got here, and there have been issues for people, um, I have a good friend over here who's had one vaccination in Australia and one in Europe, and he's, he's a is a man of um, no country. He's called Doe, is his surname, D-O-E, under the vaccination. But anyway, look, I cannot tell you how much easier and nicer and simpler things are in this country. So that is my crush of the week. And without um, any further ado, I think we'll move on to BSF. Let's go on to BSF. And, Carol, you have a book. And I remember last year when you talked about the first one in this series, you were so excited. We had lots of potties feeding in saying they loved it as well. And now the second in this series has just been published. And this is the other book you gave me. Um, You set me on my way. It got me through... um, it got me through Melbourne to Dubai and then Dubai to Amsterdam. I finished it. I think I even finished it on the plane. Brendan's now read it. It is the second um, edition of the Thursday Murder Club Mysteries. It's called The Man Who Died Twice. You know all about this incredible man, Richard Osman. He's a TV star in Britain, but not really that well known anywhere else, Richard Osman. The Thursday Murder Club introduced this wonderful gang of, I think it's Elizabeth, Joyce, Ibrahim and Ron, and of course the people around them, including um, the two the two local cops, uh, Donna and Steve. I think it is. Might have that one wrong. Anyway, the the nuance, the writing of these books. Look, these are not amazing literary experiences, but they are such great stories. The four 70-somethings who live in the beautiful retirement village in some leafy part of England, this time um, the mysteries get a bit murkier and a bit grubbier and certainly more bloodthirsty. MI5 is involved. Um, American version of the mafia is involved. It is a great story. Um, Elizabeth is probably the main character in all of this. Joyce remains my favourite, the retired nurse. Elizabeth, of course, is a retired spy and a lot more MI5, as I said. But the lines this guy comes up with are so brilliant. Bring on the film version or the TV version. I think Steven Spielberg brought the rights back in 2020. It's so much fun casting them. I see someone has got Julie Walters and Helen Mirren as two of the main characters, but it could be anyone. Corrie... Thank you. I have absolutely loved this. Brendan laughed out loud as he read it. Well, it's going to be my summer pleasure because I didn't indulge last year, but I think um, you've just endorsed both books. So, and, and also globally, the reviews this guy is getting for this series. He was pretty wealthy to begin with, but I think his, uh, his, star is, his literary star is on the ascent and so is his bank balance. Well, his third one, I think, comes out probably this time next year or maybe or maybe a bit earlier, maybe August next year. But um, there's a reason it's a bestseller that the way and there's a lot of emphasis on mental health in this in this one. There's a bit of recovery from a traumatic incident that happens to Ibrahim, the retired psychiatrist, who is a wonderful character. And also Donna, the young cop, the young black cop who is having a lot of trouble adjusting to life in a small town and life as a single woman in her 30s. 
it's just a beautiful story and the way they deal with old age, mental health, Alzheimer's. I won't tell you why it's called The Man Who Died Twice. Before you go on to screen, uh, I just want to say that I am chugging my way again through the Sandham murders. I think I'm now up to series five. If that, if, <laughs> if, the, cop, if the cop and the chick who's living in the beautiful house all alone, because her children always seem to be off with the ex-husband, if they don't get together by the end of this series, I'm just giving up television watching. Um, but uh, Corey, can I just interrupt to say my um, my great my now great friend Johan Hedstrom, who is Sunday's father-in-law on the other side, as you know, he is Swedish grandfather. Grandfather, sorry, he is um, Rose's father-in-law. He's Swedish. He's currently in Stockholm. He says he watched the first half of the first episode of the Sandham murders and gave it the absolute thumbs down. Said it's absolute shite. And I must say, I said, but Johan, the beautiful, you know, the island. It's such a beautiful place. He just said, yep, yeah, not worth it. No, look, as I said to you. I- Pete and I had a whole day on Santam. It's a really lovely, cute village, but this, this, the number of murders that are happening and the raciness of the life. I didn't see any of these bars where people are getting killed once they stagger out half water. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see any of this happening. I didn't see all these young people having a midsummer beach party. Where were they all? You know, it's nice and it's quiet. It really does like make midsummer murders look like the cap- London, the capital. It's just anyway. It look, I'm sticking, I'm hanging in there. And the other thing, but in all seriousness, I do want to point potties to, and even you, Cara, if you and Brendan are um, a bit footloose and you can get ABC iView through your laptop, I'm not sure whether you can. On Monday night, on um, on uh, Four Corners, they they uh, put to air a French documentary on the life of Angela Merkel, who has just recently stood down, of course, as Germany's chancellor. It is such a fine political bio doco. I realise how little I knew about Angela Merkel and how much I wish that her wisdom was still on the world stage. Maybe she will come back in some sort of other guise, but... um, yeah, really, really interesting, a terrific uh, Four Corners. So tell us about your screen. Well, I'm sticking with crime and I'm sticking with Scandi, with, um, following your mention of um, Midsummer of um, Santam murders. The only thing on BBC First here, it seems to be endless reruns of Midsummer murders, a little bit of Whitstable Pearl and a little bit of a, a, a series about a crime scene cleaner called The Cleaner. That's it. It is. Oh, and a little bit of um, Silent Witness. So we've we've gone to Netflix and we've fallen in love with two, not one, but two Scandi noir crime series that I hadn't watched. It's been a bit of a, a chestnut theme this week here, Corrie. I made chestnut stuffing in my roast chicken for the um, expat gang on Sunday. And I made a, a wonderful chestnut cake that I'll tell you about next week. But um, this series is called The Chestnut Man. So we thought, you know, along the theme of chestnuts, we were babysitting Sunday one night. And um, look, this is, I think it's a six or seven part series. It's set in Copenhagen and around Denmark. It is a very, very gruesome story of, well, there's a serial killer there is a, um, a single mother detective who is a brilliant detective but is trying to get out of full-on detective work and back into sort of um, an IT desk job because she wants to spend more time with her clearly troubled daughter. She comes from, she, she comes from a foster family that was not happy 
Her partner in crime is a cop who's been sent to them from The Hague, who left there in disgrace for some reason and has a family tragedy behind them. And the other main character is a minister in the government who is just returning to work after the dreadful disappearance and death of her daughter one year earlier. A, a series of women are being murdered. There is a whole lot of suspects. Every time a body is found, a little chestnut man made out of chestnuts, a little stick figure is left by the body. And on the body, this is series one, first show, so I'm not doing a spoiler alert, are the fingerprints of the disappeared murdered daughter of the politician. Oh. And I know. This rings a bell. Was this a, not a Joan Nespo book, but was this a Scandi crime novel? Do you know? It rings a bell with me. Oh, look, I, I should know, but I don't, but probably. Anyway, and there's this song, Chestnut Man, Chestnut Man, and these local school choirs sing it. Oh, it's so creepy. But the other one we've just started, we got I Take You Now to Finland and the Finnish-Russian border, and the series is called Border Town. In this one, the main detective is called Kari. He is a sort of 40, 50-something autistic policeman who has left Helsinki and, again, for slightly blurry reasons, moved to a much smaller town of his wife's birthplace. She's recovering from cancer. They have a teenage daughter. He's done that because he wants to spend more time with his family. Of course, the minute he gets there, there are two murders. There's a dodgy mayor who once had an affair with a wife. There's some horrible, horrible... Um, well, a, a woman is found murdered first, but some rather gruesome scenes involving young women, which if you can get through that, it is a great story. And this detective, this autistic detective, Kari, is a great character. And this, I think there are at least two series. It's called Border Town and it is absolutely wonderful. I actually prefer, I'm preferring that to The Chestnut Man. So they're and, my two and that's recommendations. On that's on Netflix, Caro. They're both on Netflix because they don't have a whole lot of choice. So, um, yeah, so The Chestnut Man and Border Town are my two Scandi Noir recommendations for the week. Just another screen. We watched the movie the other night, um, Proof? No. Uh, oh, God. The one with um, <coughs> Michael Keaton who plays uh, – pl thank you. I'm just being handed a glass of wine. But, <coughs> sorry, Pete's actually sprayed the mortine because the flies were making a noise. Have a slurp of red. Go on. It's, um, and he is the lawyer who is in charge of deciding who receives what compensation from the American government after 9-11. No, I haven't, haven't seen that. Is that ringing a bell with you? Let me see. No, it must be news. Um, it is absolutely terrific, and I will get back to you when um, I'm not talking about food. I'll do a quick check of the movie. It's it's absolutely terrific. Michael Keaton plays such a great role, and Stanley Tucci is one of the claimants. It's so it's such an interesting. Also, story. Stanley's left the cocktail cabinet, has he, to actually do some <laughs> do some acting? No, no Negronis on the side there. So my recipe. I just thought last week there was there was a lot of focus on your meatballs and my salmon with za'atar and tahini. I felt got a little bit of a short shrift. Miss Jane didn't ask me for the recipe to put on the show notes. So I just sort of quietly went back into my corner and thought, oh, well, her meatballs obviously beat my salmon. Can I just tell you, I cooked my salmon again on Saturday night. It's a bloody fantastic recipe. And I'm going to revisit the Ottolenghi Test Kitchen book again today. Caro, when you get back to Melbourne, in fact, this could be my Christmas present to you, 
this bookshelf, Otolenghi Test Kitchen, is just such a great book. As I said last week, it's everything that's in your pantry. That's the whole idea of it, that you go through and look at, do I have cans of tomatoes or do I have this in my fridge or do I have this in my freezer? What can I do with it? So um, this week I cooked a fantastic dish, which is vegetarian. You could either have it as a meal on its own with rice or some sort of pasta. You could have it as a dip. So for fives or bar snacks, believe me, I'll be doing this with the pita bread. Or in fact, you know, we were talking about what sort of protein, meat protein you might have with it. I think lamb would be fantastic because it's quite hot and it's quite chilly. And it's called green cannellini and tahini. And there are uh, not many ingredients, but there are sort of three or four components to this recipe. One is the cannellini dish itself. One is the green sauce that you make, which is all in the whizzer, parsley, coriander, chives, toasted cumin seeds, which you've, um, you know, crushed with a pestle and mortar, garlic, lemon juice and black pepper. So it's a bit like a pesto, only a bit more sort of peppery, I guess. And then there's a tahini sauce, which is just tahini, lemon juice and and garlic. And then um, a chilli oil, which you kind of drizzle all over the pita bread, which you have toasted and you break up and you pop on top of it. So it does look like, it does look a little messy, but I tell you what, the green of it is delicious. And I just think um, for summer barbecues through to winter meals, uh, this is a side accompaniment, is an absolutely fantastic dish. Um, really recommend it. It'll be on the show notes. But can I just tell everybody, have a good look at um, at this one. Like all of Otolenghi's cookbooks, it's 50 bucks, and I think it's a great buy. And my puppy is just eating my headphones as I speak. It's all happening. Oh, be careful. And, Caro, just before we go on, I did mention the Michael Keaton film, and Miss Jane has has brilliantly just picked this out of the World Wide Web and it's called Worth. Really recommend it. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, our friend Minty gave me a great tip for anybody who has a puppy and if they're obsessed by cords, get Vicks Vapor Rub and rub it on your cord. The puppy won't go anywhere near it. Yeah, but it's a bit of a pain in the neck having to rub Vicks Vapor Rub on everything. Queenie destroyed my best pair of glasses just before I left. Do I rub Vicks Vapor Rub on my glasses? Well, anything that's precious, you just get the Vicks Vapor Rub out and the puppy won't touch it. I tell you what, it's a really good tip, that one. So that was, B- that was BSF, everyone, for Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro. And they are, of course, a leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time that you called Red Energy on 131806? Corey, I just need to just give a, a bit of a shout out again to Johan, who actually made those beautiful Otto Lingi meatballs from the Simple Cookbook, the ones with the beef and celeriac, even though we left out the celeriac. I don't want to take the credit. And um, I am so looking forward to sharing our friend Mary's chestnut flour cake with you next week. Now, Corrie, um, yes, thank you to Red Energy. Um, but it's time for you to be grumpy this week. There's a lot to be grumpy about in Australia at the moment, Caro, and uh, it has something to do with the Prime Minister's on-again, off-again decision to go to Glasgow and does he have a policy in relation to uh, global warming? Not yet, but wait and see. Um, no, I'm grumpy about the fact that uh, news broke over the weekend. Uh, the Queen was seen at a public function with uh, with a walking cane. I don't know whether this hit the Netherlands as something newsworthy, but it certainly was here. 
over, all over a lot of um, a lot of media. And Vanity Fair wrote a story uh, about the Queen having this cane at the age of 95, and the fact that she has been told by her doctors that she should probably desist from having alcohol, particularly her dry martini, which she enjoys at the end of each day. So, small item, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was going to kind of be a world beater. Social media went off about the rights of a 95-year-old to have her dry martini at the end of the day. And the doctors, to their credit or in defence of them, it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee next year and they want to make sure that she's in tip-top condition to, to go through a year of defensive functions. So they've just suggested that mum might like to just pull back on the martini. Apparently... The Queen, it was once reported the Queen consumes four alcoholic drinks a day, including allegedly a glass of champagne before bed. Can you believe that she has four four drinks a day? She's doing better than I am in lockdown. Good luck to her, I say. And I how dare they how dare they say don't have a martini? It it will probably kill her if she doesn't, if she changes those habits now. I mean She's pretty good for 95. I don't think they should change anything. 94, 95, change anything. Charles might be going, look, come on, come on, Mum, maybe. Maybe you should be enjoying the martinis. Am I ever, am I ever going to get this job? <laughs> Will it ever be my turn, says Charles and Camilla? Will we ever uh, be there? No, it actually, the English royal family, the British royal family don't get a lot of publicity over here, but if they have, I've been missing it. We haven't been watching our BBC News the last few nights. We'll have to get back onto that. But I don't blame... Are you grumpy about the fact she's been told to stop drinking the martinis? Yeah, that, that's, or the that's what I'm grumpy about. I'm grumpy about all the, all the doomsdayists who just say, oh, the Queen shouldn't be having a drink, and the shock horror when they all discovered that she was having four a day. Who cares? She's 95. It's like my mother when she took smoking up again in her late 60s. She said, oh, who cares? Honestly, who cares? I've been off them for 20 years. And I thought, well, look, it's your life. It's your choice. It's what you want to do. If you want to have a cigarette, go for it, baby. Now, six quick questions, Caro, for Red Energy. Oh, I can't believe I'm asking you an AFL question and you're in Europe. What was the most anticlimactic event of this year's AFL calendar? Well, it's never one of my favourite times of the year anyway, Corrie, but the AFL trade period has to have been the greatest dud I can remember in years now of trade periods. I mean, when when we spent the entire time talking about sort of Jordan Dawson and Robbie Tarrant and players who would barely, I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but it, yeah, it was a very, very lacklustre trade period. People were predicting it would be so, and it was. I always feel, as you know, it makes me grumpy that the minute barely had we stopped, had we started really celebrating Melbourne's drought-breaking premiership, that we're talking about the trade period. I don't like it. I, I hate the way we can't just stick with something for more than a couple of days. But no, it was a dud. And um, I think everyone would have been pretty disappointed with the lack of player movement. I guess it has something to do with, with COVID. Now, Corrie, what showbiz news sent you into a spin this week? Oh, hold on to your horses with this one, Kaz. Emma Watkins, the yellow wiggle, is retiring at the end of the year. I saw that. I oh, saw that. The kids of Australia are up in arms. Uh, you know, fair enough too. She's just said that, uh, like many people around the world during the pandemic, 
It's given her time to reflect on what is important in life, and for her, that's family. And she also is studying a PhD, which I did not know that. So she wants to really pour herself into that. But Emma has been involved with the Wiggles since 2013. She came on as a um, a character, Fairy Larissa, and then sometimes she'd don the dinosaur outfit and be Dorothy the dinosaur. Uh, and then she was um, she was rewarded for her hard work and dancing ability and singing and just the way she just connects so beautifully with the camera when they gave her the yellow uh, skivvy. So uh, she is passing on her skivvy to 16-year-old C. Hay Hawkins, who was born in Ethiopia, is a brilliant dancer and I think a really worthwhile, wonderful uh choice and such a bright spark when you see her on screen she's she's she already pops up with the wiggles now and then but i just don't know how we're going to break the news to harriet and willow oh well i must say brendan actually read me he reads me little news snippets every morning and he read this to me yesterday we were shocked to learn she's been around yes for nine ten eleven years with the wiggles i had well he said 11 but you're saying nine that is extraordinary extraordinary amazing career so while we're on the television uh uh, bandwagon. What Australian TV show do you think truly deserves the title of National Treasure? Australian Story. This oh, is yeah. such a This is such a brilliant show. This this breaks news. It investigates incredible stories of incredible, little known, well known, really famous Australians, family sagas and bust ups. It gets. Um, it, it sort of gets to the heart of issues, and I've been interviewed once by Belinda Hawkins. I mean, she's a tough interviewer. Like, she is a, obviously very, very good at what she does and a very experienced and smart journo. But this story that um, we read about the other day about Max Gillies um, and his father, who, you know, he thought he saw one day unpacking boxes at the lemonade factory who'd left the family years before. You know, Lindsay and Paula Fox are watching Australian story, watching this incredibly moving story and realise it is a man who was such a great friend of Paula Fox's family and mother that he actually walked her down the aisle when she married Lindsay. I mean, just a, another incredible sort of series of coincidences and Melbourne being a village. But there are, there are so many wonderful elements to Australian story. I mean, the story they did on Marlon Pickett a couple of years ago, um, David Hooks. I mean, they're two of the better-known ones. I, I, I couldn't even go into the details of how many brilliant things they've done, but I hope that show never dies. I'm with you 100%, and I did watch it in real time the other night, and I know Max Gillies and Louise Adler reasonably well. Uh, Louise and I used to be on a board together and we met Max socially. And, in fact, Max came into the bookshop, I think it was maybe two days before we officially closed uh, or unofficially closed because we had that lock, kind of weirdo lockdown thing. But um, he was really sad that Melbourne was losing another bookshop. He is a huge supporter of the arts. They are a very quiet philanthropically connected couple. The story of their 40-year love affair is remarkable and it was funny and engaging. People like David Williamson were um, wheeled out to talk about Max as a young actor. And Carol, you've got to watch it again somehow on iView because it was a great episode. But you remember a couple of, uh, a month or two ago, you and I were uh, praising the Luke Longley, uh, Luke. Um, yes, yes, Luke Longley. Yeah, yeah. Luke story that two-part amazing two-part story they're so clever and i agree belinda is a wonderful producer 
I see Ben Simmons has been in the news again, speaking of basketballers, not for the right reasons. And ever since he decided not to play um, with the Boomers during the Olympic campaign, and well, even earlier, I've had my doubts about him, but I'll just I'll just leave that. Corrie, which two Beatles-related events are you anticipating? Uh, both happening in November, Caro. One is the Peter Jackson doco. Uh, the Beatles Get Back, it's called, and it's uh, a three-part documentary on Disney+, Plus, which uh, Peter Jackson has reviewed and cut and reformatted the entire uh, Beatles um, production of Abbey Road. And you remember, of course, we've seen over the years, time and time again, them performing as a band on the top of the Apple building in the middle of winter in London. Yes, in the, from the Letter B album. Yeah. Exactly right. And um, and so, oh, sorry, Let It Be album. My apologies. I said Abbey Road. And, um, and what Peter Jackson has done is there were nine different cameras on the crowd and on the band during that session. And over the years, a particular narrative has been told, uh, you know, the Beatles were about to break up. So the, so the editors have obviously looked for, you know, Yoko Ono, Yoko ono being black and dismissive in one corner, Paul and John looking at each other with contempt. Well, what Peter Jackson has found is a whole different story, that it, there was a lightness, there was a joy, they were playing together. So I can't wait to see this. And then the other one is Paul McCartney, is releasing a book called The Lyrics, 1956 to the Present. Uh, He will be 80 next year and he doesn't want to write an autobiography, but what he has said is that if I look at my 154 songs, they all mean something about my life, so I'm going to write about them. This is coming out as a beautiful hardcover edition in November. What a Christmas present! That sounds wonderful. Yes, he's been in the news a lot over here, a lot of um, promotional articles, so I really look forward to reading that, Corrie. Now, Caro, what's your Dutch fact for this week? Well, this week it's all about bicycles, Corrie. As you know, um, cyclists in Amsterdam are the complete leaders, owners of the road, as Uber drivers grumble to you very frequently. And um, I do a lot of walking, as you know, and my step counts through the roof. You'll be happy I'm averaging about 13,000 a day. But um, we live on bikes as well. No helmets here, no helmets at all. Bike theft is pretty big in the Netherlands, four, five, six thousand thefts a year. I think four thousand and something uh, last year. Um, the other interesting thing is that obviously babies are carried around in these beautiful, um, well, they're sort of little trolleys in front of the bike. Rose and Oscar recently uh, brought one um, just recently, I think, on eBay called their version of eBay called Babo. They're called Babos. They are so cute. You get a little baby seat. You get a rain cover. But the most fascinating fact of all to me is that when Dutch children learn to ride bikes, they don't have training wheels. They actually learn on the two-wheeler. Like, they don't have training wheels. I don't – you see very few three-wheelers, very few trikes. So often kids learn to walk in the Netherlands holding onto their bikes. So what you'll see is a family walking along and the little two-year-old – um, well, obviously even younger, holding on to the handles of his bike and walking on either side. And rather than with us, one day they took off the training wheels. Um, do they still do that? You've got grandchildren yes, yes, who are... Harriet, Harriet spinning around, uh, you know, uh, like Bob Jane in her little... Um, her She has the little trainer wheels and I reckon, Caro, she's on the verge of taking them off, but she will have a mental... She will have a breakdown when we do this. 
Because, of course, well, it's a security blanket. Well, you see, they don't have that here. You just walk oh. along. I'm going to send, walk her, along. send her over to you, Caro. You can teach her over there in Holland. I'll stick her on a plane. It's a, remarkable to watch these little children walking along, holding onto their bikes, and one day they just get on the seat and ride. And that, that's how they learn to ride a bike. I mean, I can still remember the feeling of my training wheels coming off and that incredible feeling of freedom when you were able to actually do it. And it is, and it's something you never lose. I mean, we, I had a bit of anticipation getting back here because you're riding in heavy traffic and often cars ride alongside you. Once you're used to it, it's such a great feeling of freedom. But there you are. That's my Dutch fact. They have, uh, do they have in Amsterdam, we saw them a lot in Copenhagen and we thought, what a great idea, why aren't they in Melbourne? Those, they're for toddlers or for young children, it's like they take a whole family or indeed the, the neighbourhood, six or seven of them in a in a wagon. That, and that's what I just told you, that's what I just said. So they stand, there, all of them stand next to each other on a trolley and they are driven, they, some, some parent, it's obviously a roster system and a parent takes them to the creche for the day or whatever, or the kindergarten. Yeah, the, the, the most I've seen is a family of three kids in the front of one of these. Rose and Oscars, as I said, is called the Babo. That's just for one. But, yeah, you can fit two, you can fit three, and they're really long, and you can buy these really whiz-bang bikes that are e-bikes called Urban Arrows with the, the massive sort of trolley wagon thing in front. It is, it as you can imagine, hours of fascination for Brendan, who examines bikes on every walk and every ride we go on. Now, Corrie, what do you think might be your absolute final COVID-19 lockdown online purchase? Well, as you know, or maybe actually you don't, I've been too embarrassed to admit this to anybody. Uh, maybe I did tell you on a walk. During lockdown, I have bought two, not one, but two pairs of Ugg boots from the original Ugg boot family. And uh, I have lived in them both last year and this year. One actually is very sweet. The new pair, the newest pair is black, Caro, with lots of fur and sil uh, silk bows on the back of the legs. So they're very attractive. Uh, so silk I was very bows? <laughs> so I was very tempted to buy. I saw a real sort of Elle McPherson-esque one, you know, up to the knee, natural colour, and I thought, oh, gosh, that could be really good. Tempted to buy them as my last purchase. But I have been looking during lockdown because there's nothing else to do at books and old books. And I'm thinking that in my retirement from a bookshop, I might start collecting older books. And I thought, what did I really love as a kid? No, not Beatrix Potter. No, not A.A. Milne. Donna Parker, the complete set of the American. Did you ever read Donna Parker books? No, I don't oh, think I do. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So there were about seven in the series, hard, little hardcovers. I grew up on them, kept going back to the library in Sandringham for yet another one, yet another one. And she's probably 16, 17. They're teen, um, just teen um, uh, little dramas, just kind of think maybe um, Hardy Boys, but the girl is the protagonist. She has a best friend from memory. His name is Richie. It's a little bit Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Let's put on a show. So um, there, are really there's there are quite a few in the series. There's Donna Parker in Hollywood. Donna Parker at Cherrydale, which is actually uh, one of those kids' camps where she becomes a camp ranger. Um, Donna Parker, a spring to remember, which is when she falls in love. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to get the whole collection. The kids will just think. Are you serious? I'll have them for myself. Went on Amazon. $203.75, Caro, for the set. How I many mean, in the set? Seven. 
Oh, gee, that's pretty expensive. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty expensive. $203 for Donna Parker. Anyway, I'm just mulling that over. It might be my last might be my last purchase ever, really, but um I'd I'd hang around. I reckon you can do better, Corrie. I'm sure you can do better. But I yeah, well my, my brother did buy the entire um Arthur Ransom series, which he's got displayed in his beach house. I must say they look absolutely beautiful. It is nice. It's lovely to have a classic collection of something you love. Donna is not someone I would necessarily have thought of, but good luck to you. This series was written between 1960 and 1967. Author's name escapes me at the moment, but if anybody was a Donna Parker fan and if you've got a couple lying around the house, don't think for a second you can charge me $203 for them because I won't be paying that. But if you've got a good bargain, I'll be in. That and Ugg boots. Well, I must say they're everywhere here, Ugg boots, as the fashion item. Queenie, sadly, she didn't chew much of my stuff except my good glasses and the backs of my favourite pair of Ugg boots. So I'll wait till I get home to buy mine. I'm here to tell you that you need Vicks Vapor Rub, Caro. (laughs) You know what, that rubbing on the Vicks Vapor Rub on the fur, it would never come off. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, That was lovely, Corrie. Lovely to catch up. I'm going to literally get on my bike now and go and explore Amsterdam and see my granddaughter. What do you think I'm doing? This actually was delivered. Pete picked this up from Prince Wine Store the other day. This is one of their um, lovely pinots that Miles talked about a few weeks ago. So um, here's to it. The worrying thing is it's looking quite nice and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning here. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Prince Wine Store, of course, and Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. You can connect with us, as you know, via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes, as I said, or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. The email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.